Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. And we are back on the Believe in the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Golden, a Jets X-Factor. Got former Jet running back Lamont Jordan here with me. It's been a pretty eventful week in Jets land over the last, uh, over the first week of the preseason, excuse me. We have an injured quarterback. We have supposedly a new starter. We got the Atlanta Falcons in for some joint practices ahead of the preseason game tomorrow night. When you guys are hearing this, that'll be Monday night. Uh, we got a lot to talk about, Lamont. I think we should go ahead and start off with the biggest news, and that's going to be the injury to Zach Wilson. Happened early in the first quarter on his second drive of the first preseason game against the Eagles. Went to scramble out of the pocket, and instead of running out of bounds, made a play to cut back inside. And as we have now seen, uh, luckily, it was not season-ending uh, with an ACL or an MCL or anything like that. But he did have a slightly torn meniscus as well as a bone, uh, bone bruise in his knee, had a small surgery to clean up that meniscus tear, and is probably going to be out. My guess would be at least through week one, possibly a little longer. Uh, Lamont, as a former player, I definitely want to get your aspect of this. How, what is that like when you've been preparing all summer, you know, practicing, especially going into your second year, you got all this hype to be the franchise quarterback and then you get injured and you have to miss time. How can that like affect your mindset? Um, I think it'll affect anybody's mindset. Uh, it's tough because you, you're, you're coming in, you see all the draft picks, you see the off season. Um, you put in all the work and then to come in in the first preseason game and get hurt, you know, it's, it's, it can be defeating. Uh, the positive thing for him is that it was a bone bruise along with a meniscus tear. Um, I can tell you from experience, bone bruises are not good, man. Like it, no. the, you talk about the pain um, and along with a meniscus tear, I, I, I think for me, from a player standpoint, you're happy that it's not a torn ACL. You're happy that it's not a torn MCL um, and he's able to come back at least. It sounds like he'll be able to come back within the first four games of the season. That's uh, what it seems like. I would say longer than that would be a surprise and, and a concern. Yeah. And so, you know, while it is a setback at the end of the day, we fully, you know, you fully anticipate that he's going to come back. He's going to come back healthy uh, with the exception of the interception. And I think he overthrew a flat route to, yep. uh, to Garrett. Uh, I thought he looked good. You know, I thought he looked good. He looked fast on the play that he hurt himself. And when he, and, you know, we were texting kind of throughout the game. And when he made that cut and I saw him go down and he came off the sideline and my first thinking was, oh my gosh, I hope it's not an ACL because it was a non-contact uh, knee injury. Yep. Um, and so for, for myself, I know for you and for Jets fans, the fact that you know, there's hope and it looks like he's going to come back early in the season. Uh, that's a good feeling. Yeah, it's definitely a good feeling. Um, the only positive that I can take out of this is that we saw what happened to Zach Wilson last year when he got injured and subsequently came back. And he spoke on how watching Mike White and Joe Flacco go through their preparations to start and how they handled in the classroom and studying defenses, opposing defenses, uh, and how they prepared themselves and got themselves ready to play really rubbed off on him and let him come back and be calmer and a little more in control. And he played some quite literally the best ball of his career so far after that injury at the end of last season. So I'm hoping that maybe this was 
and I'm not going to speculate too much on, on what Zach Wilson was thinking, because that's not what I'm here to do. But I think that there was the hype of the offseason. There's obviously nerves and anticipation. You have all these new additions, like you said, very positively uh, regarded from pretty much everybody in the NFL landscape. And now you kind of have this reality moment where it brings you back down home and you go, okay, now I got to recenter myself. Um, he looked athletic. Uh, on that uh, first drive, I would I wouldn't quite say I'm at the point of saying he looked good, just because if your first throw you're overthrowing a, a wide open flat route by five yards, that's definitely going to be shaky. His interception was a flat curl combo uh, with the flat to the running back and Corey Davis running a curl in the other way. Uh, linebacker was pulled to the outside because of the flat route. Corey Davis was sitting in the hole of the zone, and Zach thought he had the ball but he didn't see the other linebacker reading his eyes and making a break towards Corey Davis and jumped in front and, and picked the ball off. Then we see the very next drive. He goes out and quite honestly, just trying to play hero ball when you really could try and get down and slide or run out of bounds. And, and you want your quarterback, you know, especially as an athlete like Zach, you want him to be aggressive. You want him to be able to make plays with his feet, but there's a time and a place for it. And I think he just got a little too greedy trying to make up for a bad play on the drive before. Now this is going to be his like, okay, I need to calm down. I need to center myself. Let's trust the offense. Let's win with my arm before my legs. I don't need to go out and be Lamar Jackson and shake people out of their shoes in preseason game week one. I need to be Zach Wilson. And I really hope that that is going to have a positive effect on him in the long run. I am very happy that it is not a torn ACL like you had said. Um, and as you said, from your perspective, for, as a former player, bone bruises being a pain in the butt, not as a former player myself, but as a human being with knees, I've had a meniscus tear myself uh, before as well. And let me tell you, the biggest problem that I had with the torn meniscus is stability. It wasn't so much pain. It wasn't so much range of motion. It's getting the stability to where you can put your weight on that leg and feel like your knee isn't wobbling or feel like it's going to buckle out and give out at any second. So for this situation with Zach Wilson, for me personally, nothing is more important than making sure that knee is 100% stable. I'm not letting him touch the field until it is. And if it means he misses another game or two than we might have been expecting, in the long run, I think it's really going to pay off. Yeah, and you know, I'll go back to something you said. I, I, I don't know if he was playing hero ball because I think if there's one thing coming out of the draft that we talked about with Zach Wilson was his ability to make plays with his feet. Um, That's true. What I, what I saw was a guy that was out there in the middle of a football game who was trying to make a play. Um, I, I, I'm not sure if it was hero ball. I, I think that was Zach Wilson being Zach Wilson. The pocket broke down. He, he had room. He made a run. Um, and he made a cut. And I think that he was being himself. I think that he was trying to make a play. But I also think that this is where when you talk about training camps, when you don't have guys and pads and things of that nature, um, these things have a tendency to happen. And I would go back and I would love to see their practice film to see how many times he practiced making that cut that he tried to make in a game full speed. That would be my only thing with regards to what you're saying about going and sliding is sometimes, you know, if you're not practicing cuts, and I tell my running backs this all the time, if you're not practicing cuts full speed and practice, when you get in the game and you try to make a cut, A, you're going to be more fatigued because you're not used to making the cut full speed and practice. And B, you know, 
you got to understand that when adrenaline is there and you're going to make a certain cut, like you, you know, you're, there's, there's techniques that you have to use to making full speed cuts. Yeah. And so for me, I think that a, a large part of it was that he tried to make a full speed cut that I would be surprised if that's a cut that he made in practice with that said, this is back-to-back years where he has to come back from a leg injury, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yes, I believe it was a knee injury last year as well. It was the same knee. Yeah, so I think for him, it's really just a matter of just coming back, coming back healthy, and then whatever his body allows him to do, just go out there and do it. I'm not going to put too much into it. Yes, it is a setback. Um, yes, it sucks, but at the end of the day, this is the second year. So this isn't new for him. And I think what I'm getting to for, for, for us and for Jets fans is I'm not going, I'm not overly concerned because this isn't the first time that he's trying to come back into an NFL season coming back from a knee injury. So I fully anticipate him to come back, um, come back ready to go and ready to roll. Yeah, I think he will too. I think it'll take a little bit of time, but I do anticipate him being able to come back and, and still be himself. And, you know, I actually think that's a really fair point that you made. And I'm going to retract a little bit of what I said, because at the end of the day, Zach Wilson's a gamer. And he seems to, you know, when the game is on, that's when he's always going to try and be his best for better or worse. And this was a game environment. And so when you're in that game environment and you're live bullets flying and, and it's your first real action against another team, that's adrenaline. You're right. And I really, I, I don't, this is why I love getting the chance to talk with you specifically as a former player, because you always add that perspective that the average fan like myself isn't going to have. And so I think that's a really fair point is that it may not have been hero ball. It was probably just adrenaline of him playing and the reaction of what he's going to try and do as a player. When it works, that's what we want. When it works, that's what we, you know, we celebrate and we love Jacksonville last year scrambles for a 50 yard touchdown, could have ran out of bounds, but cut back inside and and was able to score. It's the good with the bad. Mm -hmm. And so I think that I'm going to, I'm going to take a little bit of a step back. I've been kind of having that take for a little bit, but I'm really glad I got the chance to talk with you because I think that's a really good perspective. And most importantly, moving forward, I don't think this ends their season. Not I don't think this this puts them in danger of oh they're going to be terrible or or they have no chance now and or anything like that. I think Flacco is a perfectly capable backup. I think he's going to be able to keep the offense humming. And this is a point I definitely wanted to talk to you about again. I think it might honestly help the rest of the offense because you're going to have an experienced quarterback back there who's going to know the scheme, who's going to be getting the ball out on time, who's going to hopefully get the ball out where it needs to go and have the touch to make those throws, not have to just throw rifles all the time. Just a a veteran like Flacco, we have a lot of young players on this offense. And so I think when you have all that youth, having a veteran presence at quarterback can kind of help those guys move along a little bit quicker and develop a little bit quicker. So when Zach gets back, the rest of the offense is already in, uh, what's the word? It's already in, you know, mid-season form. Yep, they're in rhythm. I, um... I, I I want to see Flacco play. I mean, to be honest with you, listen, coming up, and you and I talked about this, uh, I think a few times on the show, just my love for quarterbacks. And when is the last time Joe Flacco was good? Like that that that's the thing that that concerns me with 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 Zach going down, with us having questions at the offensive line. 
I want a mobile quarterback back there. Um, I agree with you that it doesn't end this season, but when you're having offensive line trouble, especially at the tackle position, you want to have a mobile quarterback back there. And so that's my concerns with Joe Flacco and White. But with that said, I think that it puts more pressure on the floor because now you have to be able to come up with, uh, with, with now it's not a situation where you can call a play. And if it doesn't go well, Zach Wilson's legs can bail you out. No, now this is a situation where you have to trust either white or Flacco to get the ball out on time, make sure the protection is set. If the protection breaks down, do they have the ability to slide maneuver, manipulate the pocket? Do they have the, the ability to make plays with their feet? So I think that, you know, it's going to be on the floor to come up with a game plan to get the weapons that we have out in space. Now, the one thing I will say is that both quarterbacks are a lot taller than Zach Wilson. And so they're going to be able to see the they're going to be able to see downfield a lot better with the speed, with the weapons that we have. I agree with you. It's not the end of the season. But now I'm really looking at LaFleur because now he has to make sure that he comes up with game plans that that can make up for Zach Wilson's legs not being available. Yeah, no, that's definitely a good point. And and it's I'm not going to pretend that it isn't a concern that our starting offensive line for what we're anticipating for the season has yet to even practice together. And we're in preseason week two. Jeez. The. Dwayne Brown's just getting in. He's going to be the left tackle. They're moving Fant back over to the right side. He's not even doing full contact yet. Brown's still working through himself through drills. He just got into the building and signed a handful of days ago. They haven't even, as far as I'm aware, had him out on the field in any sort of capacity in team scenarios. So there's going to be a, a growing period for continuity. And that's something that we talk about all the time. And anyone that follow that knows football really is going to tell you that continuity and chemistry for an offensive line is huge. Having those guys know who they're playing with, know how who they're communicating with, how they pass off certain things, whether it's a stunt from the defensive line or a blitz from the edge or someone coming late when, you know, it also factors in with the running backs and how they pick up protection and, and the communication of all of that. And you have two guys that tackle, luckily Fant's been in the building for a few years. So he knows the scheme and he's moving back to the right side where he's played before, although not where he was training all summer. You have this new guy in Dwayne Brown, who's not only having to learn the offense, he's having to learn the chemistry of his teammates uh, and all of that and how they go about their line calls and their communication that's definitely going to take some time. The positive for Dwayne Brown is that he's going to have Lake and Tomlinson next to him. And he's not going to have like a rookie Elijah Vera Tucker was last year. You're going to have an experienced guard next to you. That's been in the scheme, let alone before coming to New York that played in it for years in San Francisco beforehand. That's I think is going to be a help. And you're hundred percent right. That it's going to be on Michael floor to dial up, as many different plays in this offense as he can when you don't have that fail safe of a quarterback using their mobility to get you out of a bad play. It's, it's going to be interesting to see. I'm slightly confident in Flacco just based off what I saw from his one start last year against Miami. I actually thought he played pretty well. He had, if I'm remembering correctly, it was about 280 yards. I think he had two touchdowns and no picks. At the very least, he had one touchdown. He had a, a long play to Elijah Moore on a double post pattern where Elijah Moore outruns Byron Jones and then takes the house. I'm hopeful that 
Flacco will be able to be serviceable. I'm not expecting him to come out and be a world beater or elite. I don't think we're about to have a quarterback controversy, as I've seen some people suggest, where if Flacco plays so great and Zach comes healthy, what's going to happen? That I don't even think we have to entertain because I still think this is Zach Wilson's job to lose. Whenever he is healthy, he will get it back. But I'm hopeful that LaFleur can dial some things up. Flacco can keep the offense on schedule and the offensive line can really get in sync. I'll tell you who's about who just got a bunch more weight added onto their shoulders and a lot more responsibility really quick. That's Brees Hall. Yes. Because the running game is going to have to be leaned on even more so than it was before. Yes. Yes. But this is where I go back to LaFleur is you have enough weapons at the wide receiver position that teams should not be able to dial in on your run game. If teams are able to load the box on us and we can't throw the ball, then something is wrong. There's no way that a team should be able to come into a game and say, okay, we're going to stop the Jets run game and we're going to play cover three or we're going to play man to man across the board against these wide receivers and think that they can stop us. If, if teams are able to do that, then, then this is going to be a long, disappointing season. I definitely agree with you. I think that where it puts the most pressure on Hall is in the pass protection area. I don't really have concerns with the run game because I, I, I like what I see out of all the running backs so far. All of the running backs are downhill guys. All of the running backs, they, they hit the hole. Um, all of the running backs can catch the ball out of the backfield. And so I think for him, the biggest thing is that he's going to, because Zach Wilson's, remember, we're going back to Zach Wilson's legs. And so you have Carter coming back for a second year who can be better in pass protection. You have Hall, who is a rookie who has to learn NFL pass protections. And as you said, learn the scheme. And now you have quarterbacks who aren't as mobile. So I think more of the pressure is going to be on Hall with regards from making sure that he's, he, is, he is locked in 100% in the passing game um more than a run game i'm not overly concerned with the run game i think our wide receivers are dynamic enough that there's going to be enough space to run the ball it's just a matter of the floor dialing it up the offensive line going out there and blocking it up um and to the point where with with brown or whoever else comes in how many years have brown been been in the league i believe this will be year 14 for him well and see now that that's that's the positive in this situation is He's a vet, so it shouldn't take him long to learn the offensive system. Uh, the way I look at it, when I was in New England, I'm sorry, when I was with the Raiders, I was there for three years. We had three different head coaches, three different offensive systems. All right. I get released by the Raiders. I get pitched, picked up by the Patriots, a completely different offensive system. And so when you sign a veteran, you sign a veteran and you're signing a veteran with the thinking process that it's not going to take him too long to learn the offense. It's very simple. He's been in the league for 12, 13 years. There's no defense that he hasn't seen. So the biggest thing that he has to learn is the terminology. A kick step is a yep. kick. Step. A line slide is a line slide. It's as, it's as simple as if I'm in Oakland and we call a flat route a flat route and then I go to another team or I have another offensive coordinator that calls a flat route a wide route I just have to remember that hey uh, uh, what I know is a flat is now a wide route it's, I think it's along the same lines from the offensive line it's as simple as knowing your base protections base protections are the same all the way across the board for the most part you know it, what I know is base protections is is the offensive line is responsible for the four down and the mic 
The halfback is responsible for the will to weak side force, weak side force being the weak side corner, the weak side safety. So any veteran offensive lineman that you bring in at this point, you're expecting him to pick up the you're expecting him to pick up the terminology because that's why you're signing a vet in this situation because you don't want a rookie coming into this situation because they're trying to learn how to play in the NFL, trying to learn an NFL system. Brown is a guy that should pick up this system quickly because he is a veteran. Yeah, he should. And another positive to that, um, to build off what you just said, is that he's played in a similar scheme before. He played under Gary Kubiak in Houston. And mm. Gary Kubiak is a Mike Shanahan disciple. So that's <laughs> the scheme of what he's familiar with. And Brown even said that himself, is that he's played in a similar offense when he was under Kubiak. He enjoyed playing with it. He had a lot of success in that sort of scheme, and he thinks it fits him really well. And mm. the difference really is the terminology. Yeah. Is going to be how they call their plays, what language they use, because I'm sure Michael Floor in 2022 is not using the same terminology as Gary Kubiak in 2012. Mm-hmm. But the plays may be similar. The structure may be similar. The design may be similar. That just might be called something else. Mm-hmm. That's It's mainly, mostly for Dwayne Brown about the terminology. I, I 100% agree. Yes. All right, let's look ahead to Atlanta. We've had a couple of joint practices over the last couple of days. Uh, the positive for this that I can say, this was not the case last year when the Jets had joint practices. From all reports, the Jets were clearly the better team over these last few days. And that they were, on offense and defense, handily doing their work against the Atlanta Falcons and really just made them look like a team that's in a rebuild compared to the Jets to where they're a team that has been rebuilding and now they're on the upswing. And I said on my other podcast, the Oklahoma Drill podcast, uh, last week before the practices started, my barometer for success was going to be just that. On paper, they should have been the better team. I wanted to see that backed up in practices and the reports being the Jets look like the better roster. They're really having a, having their way with the Falcons. And that's what we've seen to, uh, seem to have saw over the last couple of days. I'm very encouraged by that. That I'll tell you, that's, that's good to know. Because what it says is that that the Jets as a franchise are right on pace. Yep. And and what Coach is doing with regards to the culture here, they're right on pace. Um, For me, the test is going to be once they get out there on the football field and and the game counts. Um, I remember, I believe I was in Oakland and we had joint practices uh, with Houston, with the Houston Texans. And we went out there. um, I love the joint practices. the thing that I love about joint practices is that you're not getting as many reps. <laughs> no, you're not. You're not getting as many reps. It's like, hey, a joint practice, you know, we're going to play the preseason game. You go in, you get your reps. I I, I love joint practices. Uh, with that said, you have, you're, you're practicing against a team that's watching what you're doing, and then you're going to go out and play a live game against them. And so for me, um, I can't wait to see this preseason game. A, um, I want to see the offense do better. I mean, yes, we know that Zach Wilson is not going to be there, but we need to see, I would love to see some consistency out of the offense. That's the biggest thing I want to see is consistency out of the offense. Um, and as we move forward, um, if you look at this last preseason game, I love the fact that we played the Eagles for the first preseason game. And to get so much teach tape, there is so much teach, teach tape from that Philly game for our defense to learn from 
Yep. For the simple fact that if you look at the first quarterback of the season that we're playing, it's Lamar Jackson. Well, the first game of the season, you had an opportunity to play against uh, Hertz and, and Minshew, guys who put strains on the defense. I thought the defensive line, for the most for the most part, I think they did a great job of getting pushed. There was some, there was a lack of discipline in, in lanes, which you have to get corrected before you play Baltimore. Yep. I think that if you watch the Eagles preseason game, that right there will give you an idea of what we're going to see against Baltimore. You're going to have to keep the quarterback in the pocket and you have to anticipate that it's going to be a lot of time and throws. So for me, from a defensive standpoint, I love what I saw. If it's, if you want to get an idea of the culture of a team, watch how a team plays in a preseason when their starters are in, and then watch how a team plays when the backups are in. Most of the time you see the starters, the team looks good, and then when the backups come in, you can see a huge drop-off. If it's one thing that I didn't see, especially on the defensive side of the ball, I didn't see a huge drop-off. If it's one thing that this Jets defense does, and I believe they did this last year, which once again, it talks about the co- the culture. Um, for all four quarters, if it's one thing I saw was I saw the Jets flying to the ball. And that's something that if yep. we're going to have a successful season this year, that's something that has to be maintained. Yeah, on top of that, just speaking of culture, they were down 14 nothing at one point in that game. Early mm-hmm. in the game, your starting quarterback gets hurt when at the time everyone was fearing the worst. Mm-hmm. And they never flinched. They had their backups ready to go. You have a quarterback in Chris Strelliver who never took any reps in practice besides scout team reps, comes in and plays the whole fourth quarter and leads a game-winning touchdown drive. Mm-hmm. You have an undrafted free agent receiver in Calvin Jackson Jr. who scores a game-winning touchdown on a corner route that, like you were saying, teach tape for, for the defense. Put any wide receiver in the world and give them teach tape of the corner route Calvin Jackson ran to win the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was beautiful. They never, they never quit. They never got down on themselves. They never, they didn't get too wrapped up in the moment or too wrapped up in thinking about Zach and how he was doing and what could happen to their season and all of that. They stayed focused. They stayed attentive and they came back and they won the game. And I really think that speaks to the culture and it starts at the top with Robert Sala for installing that and keeping everyone on the right track and keeping them fighting and the whole roster top to bottom just didn't quit. And it resulted in a win. And I know it's preseason, but like you're saying for culture and for rebuilding a team that has been lied down and dead before the games, even at halftime so many times before over the last handful of years, I thought that was a big step forward. Yeah. Yeah. I I definitely agree with you. And, and we talked about this all last season about how, no matter what the score is that this team is going to play for four quarters and, and to see that as far as with the consistency, you have to be excited as a Jets fan, um, not just for this upcoming season, but for the future of the Jets. And so as we, as we talk about this preseason game against Atlanta, Hey, you just had a good week reports are coming out that you look far better than a team that you just had a week's practice against now you have to take things to the next step. You have to go to the next step, take things to the next level. And now you have to go out here in a preseason game and you just have to dominate this team. I think that's the next step in this thing is, hey, go out here and dominate this team. Defense, apply that pressure on the quarterback, get you some sacks, get you some turnovers. Um, I would like to see the secondary play a lot tighter. I think that there were a lot of underneath throws that they were just giving up. And I do understand that it's the first preseason game. 
Um, but those are things that that when I'm looking at this second preseason game, I would love to see tighter coverage. And also, let's talk about our first round draft pick. We talk about Sauce. I don't know how many passes got completed on him, but I did see a couple of times he looked like he was getting a little handsy. Um, Ooh, and yes, that's something that 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 right there. When we talked about this, you know, that was one of my major concerns with him was route runners. And in the college game down the field, you can get handsy in NFL. In a regular preseason game, especially if you're playing against the Patriots or you're playing against the Bills or you're playing against one of these teams that everybody's anticipating and hoping is going to be there at the end, those referees are going to throw the flag. So I'm really excited to see how much better this team gets from from preseason game one to preseason game two. Yeah, me as well. Uh, Speaking of sauce and speaking of grabs, I think this is the perfect transition for uh, for starters, he had 11 snaps in coverage in his first preseason game. He wasn't targeted at all. Mm-hmm. So wasn't targeted. I think you're going to see a handful of games from him like that where he's just locking down a corner of the field and he's not even looked at. That said, there were a couple of times he was a little bit grabby. And in these joint practices, I believe it was I believe it was yesterday. I don't think it was earlier today when they had practice. Um, yesterday there was a clip of sauce Gardner getting an interception on his former teammate at Cincinnati, Desmond Ritter. And he's covering a uh, receiver for the Falcons. And I believe he's an off man. It was kind of hard to tell from the clip because you don't see much of the play to start with, but just from the way he was aligned and the way he was covering, it looked like it was off man. And their uh, receiver runs a, cur- a curl route on him and he tugs the Jersey so bad. He gets right under the shoulder sleeve of the receiver and has a fistful of that sleeve and pulls it basically pulls him back and cuts in front and makes the interception. And I saw a lot of people being like, look at sauce. He's making a pick. He's taking off his former quarterback. And you know, that's our guy. And I'm sitting here in my head thinking he's so lucky. This is a training camp practice because that's defensive pass interference in a real game. Mm -hmm. And it was clear as day, even the highlight they showed to try and be like, look, the, the jets own cameras being like, look at sauce, making this play clear as day he grabs the shoulder sleeve and he's not going to get away with that in the in the season he's just not so that's one thing he definitely has to continue to work on is avoiding being grabby or at the very least learning how to do it subtly so you don't get called because there's to think that every corner is going every rep and they're never getting a grab or they're never getting a tug or or getting away with any of that you know it's it's crazy it's about how much you can get away with without getting caught, basically. And some guys like Darrell Revis was for so long are were masters at that. Mm-hmm. And they can just give the little tugs and the little grabs to where it doesn't even look like they're doing anything, but it's really influencing the receiver. Sauce either has to learn to stay less grabby overall or learn to be a little more subtle and a little craftier in how he goes about doing it. Because when he gets to the regular season, it's going to be called on him point blank period especially now that you have a viral clip of him getting an interception and doing it the nfl media is not stupid you know teams are not stupid they're following all of that stuff and they're gonna go the ravens are gonna go into week one and say hey refs watch one because he's grabby and we've seen it in practice and we've seen it in other preseason games and and now it's the regular season and we need to call things tight watch him he's gonna be grabbing and they're gonna have to key in on him for that so it's definitely something he needs to work on but if you're going to be a top corner and uh, you're going to be a top five picket corner, you play your first preseason game, you go 11 snaps in coverage and you don't even get targeted. You can't really ask for much more than that. 
but there's still some things we need to work on with them for sure. And I agree with you on that, but here's the, here's the thing about that. I watched some, I watched a clip online and they had, basically, I think they had a lot, if not all of the snaps where he was in coverage. And the reality is when some of those snaps, that guy was open. When you play against a quarterback that is a timing quarterback on some of those passes, those wide receivers were open. Now, I think that he was close enough that it could have been a bang, bang play. But on some of those snaps, you know, and this is what you're looking at. And so we can look at clips and it says, yes, it sounds good that he wasn't targeted. But the next opponent is going to go and watch what he did how he covered them. And they're going to say, Hey, listen, when they're playing this coverage on this route, we can get this ball in there because he's playing off. And so, and if you look at the wide receivers that he played against, they're not Stefan Diggs. They're not Tyree Hill. They're not Waddle. You know, they're, they're not those type of guys. And so um, don't want to sound overcritical, but that's what happens when you're the fourth round, when you're the first fourth pick overall. Oh yeah. No, and absolutely. You, the, yeah, the standard is as high as it gets. You, you yes. get nitpicked because you're the fourth overall pick. Your expectations are through the roof and it's up to you to live up to them. It's, you're not being overly critical. There's no such thing as overly critical when you're the fourth pick in the draft. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one last thing as we look, as we move forward to looking at this preseason game, I would love to see them build off of the momentum from their special teams. It's not something that we that that's talked about a lot, but I mm-hmm. think that there were a lot of good returns from the kickoff team. Definitely. Um, you know, I love seeing Barrios back there returning kickoffs and punts. And I think that that's an area this year that, you know, I don't know how many shows talk about it, but that is an area that we will spend some time on this year. And that's talking about special teams, because I really think that special teams is going to be the difference between winning and losing some of these games this year. So I think from a special team standpoint, I really think the Jets are off to a good start. No, they absolutely are. And I'm going to I'm going to echo what you just said. Special teams can be the difference in winning and losing games. The Jets don't beat the Eagles without special teams. Yes. On their game-winning drive, it started because Zonovan Knight returned the kick 50 yards. Yes. Set them up at midfield with time expiring and got them in good position. Speaking of, I do want to talk with you about Zonovan Knight a little bit, because I think this kid's making the roster. I don't know how they're going to figure it out, whether they carry three backs and he somehow surpasses Tevin Coleman, or they keep Tevin Coleman and they keep Zonovan Knight as a fourth running back. I think he's going to find his way onto this roster because the Jets, like we talked about for so long last year, they really lacked that power back. They really lacked the guy that can get the short yardage went on uh, third and short, went on the goal line, grind out the tough yards when the other running backs that are your more speed guys are, are weared out the defense by running them all over the place. Now you get the guy that gets to hammer them home. And we saw that against the Eagles. They don't win the game without Zonovan Knight because he scores the touchdown, their first touchdown of the night, gets stood up at the three, keeps fighting and falls into the end zone. Later end of the game, returns the kick, kick his back deep no one's expecting him to come out he takes it out and the defenders around him are looking like oh my god we can't believe this dude's that fast holy crap he just ran by us he just split our pursuit angles like it was nothing because they don't expect him to have the speed that he does and he rips off a big return and there has to be someone other than Berrios that can do that it you can't have your special teams be solely placed on one guy as good as Braxton is and as good as as much as I expect him to be the primary returner in both aspects again 
there might be a game where he's dealing with a slight injury. There might mm-hmm. be a game where he is an illness. There might be a game where they need him more on offense and they don't want to run the risk of something like that. There's a multitude of reasons why you might need another guy back there. And I think Zonovan Knight can fill that role. I'm really hopeful that he's, I, I want him to make the roster. I think he's going to, but personally, just for the benefit of the team, I really think he's going to be an asset. I think he'll be an asset. I think what it comes down to is it's going to come down to the other special teams units, meaning we know Hall isn't going to line up on the kickoff team and go down and cover a kick. No. Nine times out of 10, he's not going to be your kickoff return. He's probably going to be your starting running back. So we know that he's one guy that's not going to be on a lot of special teams. Um, You look at a guy like Coleman. You know, Coleman is a vet. I think that he knows how the number games work, especially from the running back position. And if you're not the starter or the backup, you have to be heavily involved with special teams. With that said, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if Knight doesn't start out because he's a free agent signing, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. It wouldn't surprise me one bit if he doesn't start out on the scout team. I I don't think he'll make it. That's my thing is that I think if the Jets don't put him on their active roster, another team is going to claim him and get him on their active roster. I agree with you on that. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a possibility. I mean, right now, if, if you're keeping four bats, you know, you're keeping, you know, you're keeping Hall and you're keeping Carter. Definitely. Those are two guys that you know are locks. What it comes down to is, is, is Coleman Knight and, and Perrine, Perrine. That's what it really comes down to. And so out of those three guys, whoever plays the most special teams, those are, that's going to be that's typically how it works. If you're not a starter back, if you're not a backup, you better be heavily involved in special teams or you're going to have a hard time making this roster. And so that, you know, that's why these preseason games are going to be critical. I don't think that we're going to get a whole lot of Hall and a whole lot of Carter. I really think that we'll find out in these next two preseason games which running backs are going to be there because those backs will be featured in these last two preseason games. I think so, too. Uh, and we honestly don't know. Uh, I was listening to Robert Sala's press conference from earlier today. We don't even know if the starters are going to play at all. He's mm. debating not playing them at all. And he said that I go back and forth, uh, quoting Sala here, I wake up one day and I say they're going to play a little bit, and I wake up the next day and I say they're not going to play. So... Right now, we don't even know what the plan is. He changed his mind on Carl Lawson and C.J. Mosley the day of the Eagles game. They were fully prepared to play. They were dressed. They were active. And then right before kickoff, he goes out and says, no, I'm going to pull you two guys because I want to make sure you guys are okay. For all we know, we may not even see any starters Monday night. And so it might be an entire game for Coleman and Zonovan Knight and and Michael Pirine to get their opportunities and really see who comes out on top not only carrying the ball, but special teams as well. So this is going to be a, this game against the Falcons is as important as it is, like you said, to build off that momentum, to improve from the, the mishaps that you had against the Eagles, to continue off the positive showings you've had in the joint practices and prove that that's just not practice and that you can put that into a game and you clearly are the better team when the bullets are flying as well it's going to be a really big deal for the players down the roster that are fighting to make their spots, especially if the starters aren't playing, this is your best opportunity you can to go out and prove you belong. Yeah, I agree with you. I I think not playing the starters on offense will be a mistake. 
I think you need as many live reps as you can with whoever the quarterback is going to be. And I think I agree. I think you have to play your starters. I think you that you talked early in the show about the continuity of the offensive line. And I think that you have to take every advantage to shoot every opportunity you get in a live game to play your starter. So whether it's one drive, whether it's two drives, whether it's three drives, whatever it is, I, I, I think for the confidence of the team, I think to build some momentum, I, I think it's good that you had a good practice against a team that you, that you know, like we said, reports came out that the Jets pretty much dominated. They look like the better team. I think you go out there and you give your starters, you give the fans an opportunity to see these guys play in some live, some, some live plays. You have to take advantage of that. This is a young football team. I think you can do that when you, if you're doing it with, with solid veterans who are proven, but when you have a young football team, your starting quarterback just went out, he's not going to be available for the first game of the season. You have, uh, you know, you lose your starting offensive tackle. You're, you're shuffling things around. I think that you have to play the starters in this game on the offensive yeah. side of the ball. Yeah, honestly, I completely agree. Before Zach's injury, and if it was going to be he was healthy, we're, we still have the same quarterback. We've had all the practices. I might have felt a little bit differently. But but now I definitely think you need the live reps. Uh, I think you need the op- the time to get everyone going. And most importantly, you need the film. Yes. You need you need the practice film. You need to be able to to not just be reviewing what you've done in camp. You need to be able to go out and get your live film to be able to work off. I really think it'll be beneficial. I wouldn't be playing them too much, but two drives, three drives most, I, I really think it's going to do a lot for them in the long run. Yes, I agree. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, I'd say that does it for us. This has been another fun episode. We will be back real soon. Once we get through the Falcons game, we can assess all of the fun from that. Uh, We did see, I don't want to end this podcast without talking about who is quietly becoming one of my favorite players. And that is Michael Clemens had a great game against the Eagles had seven pressures and a sack played well in the run game. And then best of all, you, you just absolutely adore this mentality. He has a press conference the other day. And reporters are asking him, they said, you know, you played, you know, really well. You had all these pressures. You had a sack. It was your first game. It was good action. And they ask him, they go, how satisfied with you? How satisfied were you with your performance? And Clemens, in the way that he always does, he's very analytical. He's very stoic almost. And that he thinks before he's going to speak, he always chooses his words carefully. He's got that deep, gnarly voice. And he just sits there and goes, again, the question being, how satisfied were you with your play? And he quietly goes, I wasn't. That's it. I wasn't. A reporter asked him, do you think there's more you can do to add to your game? Most definitely, he says. I'm, I'm building. I come in. I work every day. I'm trying to do the best I can, be the best teammate I can. Credit to my teammates for helping me. But, but I feel like I have a long way to go. And it was mm-hmm. like second nature to him. Like you can tell when someone's saying that because they know the cameras are on them and they know that, that they want to get the, the press the, – this was just who he was mm-hmm. where it, it's, it's obvious that that's the mentality that he has is I'm never going to be satisfied and seven pressures in a sack. That's not good enough. I loved that. You have to, you have to, and, and, and it goes back to what you said. It starts at the top. Yep. And so when you have a head coach that comes out with that kind of fire and he's shown that he's so far that he's a very consistent head coach. I mean, I take my hat off to him because if there's one thing that he's been able to do, which 
not every team can say this, is that he's got a, a roster full of players that have completely bought into what he's selling. And people have a hundred percent. That is huge. When you're talking about building a culture, when you're talking about having a young team mixed with the right vets in there, to have a head coach that is a first-time head coach, his second year as a head coach, has a young team, has just the right vet sprinkled in, but can have a roster that is completely bought into what he's doing, you have to be excited about what's happening over there with the Jets. Oh, yeah. It's completely exciting. And again, not to go off on too much of a tangent before we get out of here, that's how you build a consistent winner. Yes. That's how you build dynasties. That's how you build teams that are good year in and year out, regardless of what players they have subbing in at various areas. As long as their core pieces are the same, they're going to be okay because the standard has already been set. The culture has already been established and everyone coming into that culture now knows either get on board or get out of the way. And, yeah. and that's, <laughs> and it starts at the top and it's a credit to Salah, especially for a guy that won four games last year. No yeah. one's questioning him. No one's questioning if they, if anything of what he's doing is right or wrong or anything in between, they're fully bought in, like you said. And it helps. And I'm going to end with this. It, <laughs> to be honest with you, that's that like that's one reason, and this is just my experience with the Patriots, and is that's what made what makes Bill Belichick's team so good. Yep, he has a roster full of guys who just buy into what he's selling, and to be in the same division as as the goat, and to see what Coach is doing over here with the Jets, man, I, I'm really excited about the possibilities of where he can get this franchise. No, I am too. You, you get the players to coach themselves, basically. Yes. You get everyone to help to hold each other accountable where they don't need to have a coach screaming in their ear, getting on them to, <clears throat> to, to run a rep the right way or, or, or pay attention in the classroom. If guys are on the field, and we've, I've heard this from players, multiple players, I can't remember who specifically, but enough times to where I can say it's practically the whole team. If they mess up a rep, they're the ones going out saying, do it again make it better. We need to be on point. It's not the coaches having to tell them to do that. And that's a really good sign. Great sign. Great sign. All right, Lamont. I think that does it for us this week. Officially. Now uh, we will look <laughs> ahead towards the Falcons after that game. We'll be able to review everything from there. Look towards the last preseason game against the New York giants. I believe they're going to have another round of joint practices with the giants before that preseason game as well. And then right after that, it's time regular season. It's finally here. Man, I can't, I, <laughs> I can't wait. I'm still in, although Zach Wilson is out, I'm still holding on to my prediction that the Jets will start this season in the first five games, three and two. I'm, listen, I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm right there with you. I think they beat the Bengals. I think they beat the Steelers and I think they beat the Browns. I think it's five and two or three yeah. and two. Three and two. Yes, sir. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening. You can find me at Andrew Golden underscore 17 on Twitter. You can find Big Dog over there at Coach Jordan 34. And you can follow the show at B-L-E-A-V underscore in underscore Jets. Thank you again so much for listening. We'll be back real soon. Bye-bye.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.